So let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. I apologize for a little bit of hoarseness in my throat. I, I discovered uh, something I had sort of dismissed for a while. My wife kept saying that's what's happening, and I didn't think it was true, but it is. Um, my allergies are coming back a little bit. And uh, actually, for me, that's a good thing. Uh, that just means that my immune system's uh, overactive again. And that's really a lot of what allergies are, arthritis and things like that, overactive immune system. And so uh, <clears throat> over in recent years, I, you know, I, if I'm working with hay or things and dust, I just jump in with impunity. I don't even care because I don't think it's going to bother me. But I did that the other day, and it's bothering me. So like I said, it, it's actually a good thing. So if you can put up with a little raspiness, uh, I could put up with preaching with a little raspiness, and I ask your pardon for that. But we're talking about the shun words in the New Testament, and these are words connected to salvation, and these are words that are fast, I was going to say dropping out of the vocabulary of the modern preacher, but they're pretty much gone. They're pretty much gone, and these, these concepts, <clears throat> believe it or not, launched the Protestant Reformation and if you know anything about history, especially church history, secular or sacred, you realize that the Protestant Reformation is directly connected to the birth of our nation. And so the, these words are important in time and history, and they're important in eternity. Let's pray. Father, help us now in the moments we have together. Speak to us through your word. That's what we need more than anything else. We thank you for everything else we've experienced this morning. In song and in praise and in fellowship and in prayer. In Sunday school, Lord, now please help us as we would seek to preach that word. That is so important, Lord, that the, the, the manifold grace of God given to us in the New Testament and so many different descriptions. Lord, may we do some justice to these truths this morning. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We were only recently talking about the word salvation. Now, it's a word you and I might be tempted to take for granted, but we shouldn't. You know, there's a lot of Christians that don't want to use that word. They don't want to say, I, I've been out on the street. Our, our folks went out on the street last, uh, this, yesterday and, and the week before. Good group out there singing, street ministry, handing out tracts and talking to people. <clears throat> I've been out in the street. And I've been rebuked by professing Christians for using the word saved. <coughs> I had one gal tell me one time, she said, well, you shouldn't say saved because it means some people aren't. I tell you what, if you're that worried about offending somebody, you're not going to be much of a soul winner. And I said to her, well, that's exactly the implication that people should get. It's, it's a Bible word, but the, the modern professing Christianity doesn't want to use biblical terminology anymore. And uh, they don't want to use words that create that, that division, that, that separation, that distinction between the saved and the lost. But salvation is a, a biblical word. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And... Uh, I'm not ashamed of that word this morning. I told you growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, I uh, was, was raised Catholic. And uh, 
you know, the word salvation got tossed around along with a lot of other words, some biblical, not so biblical. And, and so I, I was familiar with the word. And, but if you were to say what was salvation, I, 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 would, I would hearken to the fact that the Salvation Army had a closed drop box at the little strip mall down the street from our house. And every once in a while, my mom would give me a shopping bag full of clothes to stick in the basket on my bike and ride it over there and put it in the drop box. And that was my impression of salvation. Thank God that he brought some people into my life that told me what salvation really meant. And so for that reason, I stand here saved. For that reason, I am with you here this morning. Let's look at another one of these shun words and the next shun word we're going to look at is the word sanctification. Now, if there's a more misunderstood concept among Christians, I don't know what it is. Sanctification. You just, you just take a group of Christians of various uh, uh, denominations, various groups, various ideas, and throw that word sanctification out there and, and see all the different Ideas you get, many of them, not very biblical to say the least. And I'm going to show you how to keep from getting that concept confused in your mind. It's very simple, but it's very biblical and it'll help you. Ephesians chapter 5, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And notice this next phrase, and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There's that word, sanctify. And then verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Verse 26, there's our word, sanctify. And it means to set apart, and in the, in the case of God, for his holy purposes. And so in verse 26, he sanctifies and cleanses the church with the washing of water by the word. By the way, that's what we've been doing this morning. Sunday school. You know what you got a bunch of? You got a bunch of Bible. Now you say in the adult class, <coughs> it was... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it was Brother Dave Hahn, yes, but that's not what sanctifies you. What sanctifies you is, is what he brought from the Word. That's what sanctifies us. Uh, various other classes across the campus, college and career, high school, uh, middle school, and so forth, and it's not the teacher it's not the program. It's not even necessarily the person sitting next to you, fellowshipping with you. That's all good. But it's this word that sets us apart as believers, that cleanses us by the washing of water by the word. In other words, the way water washes our flesh, the word washes our soul and spirit. And so that's what we're doing this morning. And that's an ongoing process till we go home to be with the Lord. Now, 
You say, well, why is there so much confusion about sanctification? You have extremes. Uh, the, current, the current Christian culture is, well, you know, that's, that's kind of dinosaur Christianity. That's, that's legalism. Uh, that's the rules and regulations. That's standards. We don't like that kind of thing. Uh, you know what? When you're saved, uh, Jesus is your friend and it's all good. And, and, and so much to the point where churches won't even call themselves churches anymore. And, and in some ways, I don't blame them. I, I mean, why identify yourself as a Methodist if Methodist doctrine doesn't mean anything to you anymore? Why, why identify yourself as Presbyterian if Presbyterian doctrine doesn't mean anything to you anymore? Why, why identify yourself as a Baptist if Baptist doctrine doesn't mean anything anymore? It, it, doctrine has sort of been washed out. And so now, even, even in naming a church, you don't even call it a church. You know, it's the hill, it's the happening, it's the tilt. It's the experience. I'm waiting for one to come out and say it's the whoa dude. <laughs> you know, with uh, Pastor Surfer dude. But folks, with a misunderstanding of doctrine, we get all kinds of practical confusion. I, I told you the other day, I, I don't even like to say anymore that a, a message from the Bible is real practical because that implies some, some are not. And I want to tell you something, everything in this book is practical. Everything in this book is practical. And what's happened is modern Christianity has taken that which is, uh, that, that borders on the secular and the everyday and said those are the practical things and the theology, forget about it, don't worry about it, it's not important. Folks, it is important. If you don't understand the three tenses of sanctification, the way we're going to look at it this morning, you're going to get confused like a lot of people get confused. We got people running around thinking that when they got saved, they were made perfectly sinless. Now look, positionally in the eyes of God as a child of God, yes. But as a practical matter, no. We still have to fight the tendencies of the old man. Then the pendulum can swing all the way the other direction. Pendulum can swing all the way to the other direction from, you know, don't worry about it, it's all good. And all God's worried about is that everybody had a nice time. And that's the farthest thing from the truth in the word of God to the other extreme that says, well, when you got saved, you know, your old man was eradicated, so you're perfectly sinless, and you shouldn't sin. And if you do sin, that means one of two things. You either lost it, or you never were saved. And you know what happens to people like that? They have to redefine sin. How many of you understand it's a lot easier to sin than most people think? The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, the thought, are you ready for this? Of foolishness is what? Sin. I mean, you don't have to do a lot of the overt, grotesque things that people think of when they think of sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Preacher got done preaching about pride and vanity, and a lady came up to him after and said, Pastor, I'm so glad that you preached on it. She said, because I, I realized I spent too much time in front of the mirror admiring my beauty. And the pastor said, ma'am, that is not the sin of pride. That is the sin of imagination. <laughs> 
But when we, when we accept a false doctrinal premise, we sometimes have to adjust our thinking to go along with it. And now we've got to pretend that sin is about six or eight things that we and my friends don't do. And then pretend like we're sinless. And if you ever met anybody like that, they're pretty self-righteous. And they're pretty harsh. And they're not soul winners. And so we need to understand what the Bible says about this. Verse 26, this, this process in, in the present where God is saving us from the power of sin daily by applying the word of God in our lives. And by the way, here in church is not enough. You need to open the Bible at home and read it yourself. And you say, well, preacher, I'm just a young Christian. I, I, I really don't know where to start. Um, start in the New Testament. Start in Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament. And read it till you get to the book of Revelation. And you say, well, what do I do after that? Do it again. And do it again and do it again and do it again. And after about five times, then start in Genesis and read all the way through. And just keep doing it and doing it and doing it till you go home to be with the Lord. But get into the word. Why? It cleanses us. It cleanses us soul and spirit the way water cleanses the body. But let's look at something else. Look at the verse prior to it. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Gave is past tense. Verse 26 is in the present. But gave is past tense. Past tense. When Christ died on the cross for us, he died to sanctify us positionally in the eyes of God and to save us from the eternal penalty of sin. Present sanctification, we're being saved from the the power of sin in the here and now, but past sanctification, which, by the way, is an accomplished fact in Jesus Christ. What you do here doesn't affect that. But what happened here should affect this. The fact that we are in Christ, sanctified and separated unto God through Jesus Christ should affect the way we live day to day. If you have, if you have a salvation that doesn't do that, you better get another one because you haven't got one that can get you to heaven. Because if any man be in Christ, the Bible says he is a what? New creature, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now look at verse 27. Verse 25, you have past sanctification, uh, being saved from the penalty of sin. Verse 26, you have current sanctification, being saved from the power of sin. Verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish now folks verse 27 does not describe any church i'm aware of on this earth that is a fact and you've heard the old saying for people that are looking for the perfect church if you ever find it don't join it because when you do it won't be perfect you know what verse 27 is describing verse 27 is describing what's called in theology the church triumphant the church now is a church militant. We're, we're, we're battling through against the world, the flesh, and the devil. But verse 27 is the church triumphant and its future. 
And, and it's described this way, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing. That's the bride of Christ. Um, we were taking a little inventory the other day because I got curious. After 40-something years in the ministry, I have people ask me, how many weddings have you ever done? I, I really didn't know. It's over 200. And I'll tell you one thing that every wedding I've ever done has in common is that bride is concerned about that white dress. I mean, she wants it to fit this description without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And that it be without blemish. Do you ever wonder where these things come from? That comes from this book right here. Because this book is woven into the warp and woof of the fabric of our society. Don't, don't ever let any secularist tell you, well, we don't have a Judeo-Christian ethic. Folks, our founding fathers, you study the guys that, that signed the Declaration of Independence, you study the men that formed the Constitution, and there was nigh unto 50% of them that were ordained Christian ministers. Don't tell me we don't have a Bible foundation. That's where so many of our, our, our traditions and understandings of things come from this book. And that's why as we drift from this book, there's so much confusion. And so what are we looking at in verse 27? We saw verse 25 saved from the eternal penalty of sin. And then we saw verse 26 being saved daily from the power of sin through the application of the word of God. And verse 27 we see being saved from the presence of sin and sanctified to God forever up in heaven. And what a day that will be, as the song says. What a day that will be. Folks, I don't know about you, but I get tired of sinning. Now, I've said, you know, I've, talk, I've told you this before, but I've talked to people about eternal security, and someone will say to me, well, you know, you believe once saved, always saved. You can sin all you want. I tell them, no, you can sin more than you want. And they look at me kind of funny. I, say, I said, you can sin more than you want. I said, what do you mean by that? It's because if you're really saved, you don't want to sin. You don't want to sin. And as a believer here this morning, won't it be wonderful to finally be in a state where, where you don't even have the capacity to sin anymore? The old man is gone. And, and, and not only is there not anything within you that responds to temptation, there is nothing around you that tempts you. I mean, folks, uh, Brother Dave in Sunday school talked about summertime, you know, having to watch your eyes and stuff because... You know, frankly, uh, gals, when the weather gets warm, they think it's time to, for them to take their clothes off. And, and, uh, and, and I hate to say it. I, I, I'm going to digress for a second. Here, I'll try to get back to this, make sure we do. But um, first of all, I don't even understand. What's the appeal of the Kardashians? These little girls want to be a Kardashian. I, I, I don't understand it. I, I've never watched it more than 30 seconds. A bunch of gals gobbing on makeup, acting like divas and arguing with each other. And all of them look like about five pounds of blood sausage stuffed into a tube sock. 
I don't understand it. But you know, we live in a world that glorifies and exalts sin. And, and there's, there's temptations all around us. And one of these days, we're going to be in a place where there is no sin, folks. And so that's future sanctification. And that's being saved from the, the, the presence of sin. From the presence of sin. Take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll look at one more example. I know some of you know this, but some don't. So, so bear with us for their sake. And then ask yourself the question, can I teach it? And if you can't, then I'm helping you out this morning so you can teach it. Parents, teach your children this so, so they understand what God's done in their life in the operation of this pro, uh, pro, uh, process. It's important. It's important because I see so many people give up because they misunderstand what God expects from them and what God can and will do for them but they don't know, and so they feel like they're on their own in this battle against sin. We have the flesh. That's one of our enemies. We have the world, the world system, and, of course, the devil himself. And so they need to understand these things, so uh, learn to teach it. Hebrews chapter 13. <coughs> Excuse me, Hebrews chapter 13. And um, verse 12 the Bible says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify uh, the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now, all of that's in the past tense. He suffered without the gate, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. That's, that's past sanctification. And it's positional. And once you're in Christ, nothing can ever change that. There is, that, that, that is one of at least a hundred reasons why, I'll go ahead and use the expression that the detractors like to use, that's, that's one of about a hundred reasons that once saved, always saved. It's not yours to lose. Christ purchased it for you. And he sanctified you positionally in himself. All right, now look at the next verse. Look at verse 13. Uh, let us go forth, therefore, that, uh, there, you always have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore, in light of that truth? Let us, go, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. That's present sanctification. And by the way, if you go to him, you're going to go outside the camp. You say, what does that mean? That, ex that expression in, in broadest terms, in narrow terms, it, it, it meant the camp of, of the Jews as the 12 tribes assembled themselves around the tabernacle in the wilderness. And that which was refuse and, and garbage and such was pushed outside the camp. That's what they did with Jesus when he was crucified at Golgotha in Jerusalem outside the gate. And so as we go to him, we go outside the camp. And we expose ourselves to reproach. Why? Because going to him makes us different. And being sanctified will make you different. In fact, it will make you different to the point where people will ask sometimes, what is it about you? What is it about you? The, the way you talk, the way you act, your spirit, 
what you do, what you don't do. And when we go to Christ, we go outside of the camp, we identify with him, and, and the world says, ha, there's one of them, there's one of them. And, and there's a reproach connected to it. By the way, we should, re, we should rejoice when we experience that reproach. I, I know we live in a country where chances are you're not, you're not gonna lose your life or get your legs broken or whipped or thrown into prison for serving the Lord. Stay tuned. It could happen in time. But, but you know what, folks? We should count it an honor that God confers upon us to, to bear some reproach for his namesake. If someone in your extended family puts you out of their company because you persist in witnessing to others in the family Rejoice in that. If, if at break time, uh, you're not welcome at all the tables at work because you bring your Bible sometimes and read it, rejoice in that. Uh, young people, if, if out, out among your peers, if you don't go along with all the little trends and fads that everybody goes along with and, and, and you stand as different for Jesus Christ, and some put you out of their company, rejoice in that. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that God is conferring an honor upon you, that you might identify with him. Present sanctification. But look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Look at verse, look at verse 14. Verse 12, we have past sanctification, saved from the penalty of sin. Uh, verse 13, we have present sanctification, saved from the power of sin. And by the way, just stand up for Christ, name yourself as a Christian, tell others how to be saved, and you won't have to worry about who you should or shouldn't hang out with. Your friends will sort themselves out for you. Look at the next verse, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Future sanctification. Here we have no Continuing city. You know what I hear a lot from people that move out here from back east and in the Midwest and parts of the south? They say, wow, things around here just seem so clean and new. And you know why that is? Because relatively speaking, they are clean and new. You go to some of the older parts of big cities, particularly back east and in the Midwest and parts of the south and you know when you're flying in a plane and you land at night and all those bright lights and the place just twinkles and sparkles but boy when the sun rises when the sun rises a lot of those places are pretty run down do you know what here we have no continuing city some of the the great cities of ancient history are nothing but some artifacts buried under a bunch of windblown sand, which at one time were a wonder of the world. But here we have no continuing city. But the Bible says that we seek one to come. We seek one to come. I've said this to you before, so I won't labor the point. But God doesn't tell us a lot about heaven, really. Not for the amount of time we're going to spend there. 
And I think it's real simple. We wouldn't understand it. But suffice it to say that God told us that the streets will be paved with gold. So pure that that gold is transparent. Other descriptions of this place in the book of Revelation are simply amazing. But folks, that's our future. And that's our future sanctification. And folks, whereas right now, being a Christian might cause you shame for standing up to the Lord in this world that is no friend of grace. I'm going to tell you, when that, when that great white throne judgment is over with, you, you'll be glad for that difference. You'll be glad for that difference. And everyone that reproached the name of Christ, everyone that reproached believers because they didn't believe. Uh, that's why I encourage you to, to come out and, and do some door-to-door work or go out on the street and, you know, even if, even if you're not anybody that would preach or anything like that out there, but just hand out a few tracks or, or sing with us and you'll have people come by and, boy, they will tell you what they think of your Savior. And a lot of times it's not pretty. And you see what this whole world really thinks, but, boy, when we get over here, folks... When we get over here, and, and the veil of deception that the devil has put over the minds of the lost is removed, and, and, and all, all, the, all the twinkle and, and flash of sin is taken down, and sin is shown for, for its ugly realities, the wages of sin is death, and all that's revealed, and the lost, the lost are shown that they will live for eternity as slaves of their own sin under the wrath of God in a place called hell. I'm going to tell you what, we will rejoice. We will rejoice in the difference that God made in our lives like we never rejoiced before. Sanctification. Let's look, let's look at one more word. Let's look at the word remission. Let's look at the word remission. Romans chapter 3. These are the shun words. Justification, sanctification, adoption, redemption, salvation, regeneration, propitiation. And now let's look at the word remission. And we'll close with this one this morning. And so we would come to church today and we would learn some Bible. Imagine that concept. Imagine such an outlandish thought. The word remission. What does the word remission mean? To keep, keep ourselves in a, in a decent time frame, let me give you a, a quick definition of it that you can test against the scripture anytime you like. Look up every word you can find. Uh, look up every verse you can find that has the word remission in it. And, and see if you don't get this, this, this composite uh, definition. It's particularly an, an Old Testament concept whereby God extends mercy and covers sin, but does not take it away. Bible says in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 34 that uh, God would not clear the guilty. And, and you say, well, why would God say such a thing? He, he, his mercy endureth forever. We see that in the Psalms. And, and God is kind and, and, and God does forgive. But what does he mean he would not clear the guilty? Well, stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. In the Old Testament, they had the blood sacrifices of what? Animals. 
animals to atone for sin. The Bible tells us clearly in the book of Hebrews that these blood sacrifices could never take away sin. But what they could do, if the Old Testament saint was obedient to the Lord in his program, is when they sinned, they'd bring the sacrifice. And, and the priest would offer it in their behalf, and, and they would get remission. God would sort of just cover it over, look the other way. Uh, as it were, the old saying, sweep the dirt under the carpet and throw the carpet back over it. But it was still there. Why is that? You remember what John said about Jesus when Jesus showed up? He said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He used that expression for a reason because what was special is that this lamb, unlike all the other lambs sacrificed for sin, was going to take away those sins. And no longer would we have remission, a covering over, but we'd have a redemption. We'd have justification because Christ made himself the propitiation to take away our sins. And folks, that's why you and I, we go to the cross one time and get saved. And we don't have to go back again and again and again like an Old Testament saint that has to keep bringing sacrifices for his sins every time he sins again and again and again because he's the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And verse 25, or let's back up to verse 24, catch a little more context. Paul says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's that word redemption, to buy back. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. There's that payment made to effect redemption and to effect reconciliation. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the what? Remission of sins that are what? Passed through the forbearance of God. What's Paul saying here? God could remit sins in the Old Testament. But what God had to do is he had to forbear. Because it was not a payment that took those sins away. The way Christ would take those sins away. And when you, when you look again at verse 25, let's look at it one more time. Whom God hath set forth, speaking of Christ, to be a, a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness. By the way, by the way, when we look at verse 26, the Bible says that God can be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He couldn't do that under the Old Testament program. You see, folks, the moral attribute that trumps all attributes with God is his holiness. And God can't save us by just saying, all right, it's okay, I, I, I don't mind that you got all those sins. Come on in anyways, I'll just look the other way. And when it starts to smell around here, I'll hold my nose. That's not the God of the Bible. The Bible says the God of the Bible is so holy as, as to not even be able to countenance, behold, or look upon sin. And so that sin has to be taken away. 
And in the Old Testament program, he was just forbearing. He was just being patient. But when Christ came, God could be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus for the remission of the sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words, all that time, God had to wait until Jesus came and the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world came and, and took away those sins. And when we trust Christ, we are accepted in the beloved because God looks at us through the filter of his son's blood, not the filter of the blood of a bull or a goat or a sheep or a pigeon or a lamb. And so we have a complete salvation. He said, well, what happened to those Old Testament saints? And what, what was the deal with them? Well, do you ever read in the book of Luke where the rich man talked to Abraham and he talked to Abraham out of hell? And, and, and the Bible talks about, about Lazarus and Lazarus is in paradise. And long story short, folks, the Old Testament saint went to paradise. They didn't go to hell, praise the Lord. But they couldn't go to heaven yet. So, th so they went to, a, to another place called paradise. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that Christ led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And when he resurrected from the dead, he took those Old Testament saints from Abraham's bosom, as it's called in the book of Luke, or paradise, as Paul called it, and presented them to the Father because the Lamb of God shed his blood and took away the sins of the world. And now when you and I die, to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. Because there's no longer remission, but there's redemption. There's no longer a covering over of sin temporarily so God could forbear with us and withhold his wrath. There's a taking away of the sin and a complete redemption. And so the Bible tells us here, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of the sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Isn't God good? And, and, and let me say this to you this morning. I'm afraid after we've been saved a long time. And, and I was just thinking the other day, um, I got saved in, in August of 1973. And just next month, I will be one year from being saved 50 years. That's a long time. But you want to know something? I, st I still can't get over what God did for me. And the more I learn about it in his word, the more excited I get and the more amazed I am. It's just how thoroughly. You know, the Bible says he saves us to the uttermost. And boy, until you start studying that Bible, you don't realize just, just how true that really is. And so, folks, let's, let's never get to the point where we think, you know, we're, we're, we're above all that. You know, I, I'm so advanced. I, I'm into the deeper things of God. I, I, I don't need to study about words related to salvation. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do.
Yeah. And, and by the way, if you have that attitude, that, uh, that means you need to deal with the sin of pride and arrogance. Amen. Because just like the great preacher was invited to come and preach the graduation many years ago, it was one of the I, Ivy League schools, Princeton, whichever one it was, and if, if, you, if you remember correctly, back in the 1600s, 1700s, those schools were started as divinity schools. Those are schools to train ministers, believe it or not. And uh, he got up to address the graduates, and, and uh, they were going to all go out, you know, and make their mark for the Lord in this world. And boy, some of them were just sitting there, you know, and with writing instrument and paper and, and ready to just write down what the great man of God would say to them. And uh, his whole speech went like this. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And he closed his Bible and he walked off the platform. And you want to know something, folks? To be honest with you, it doesn't get any deeper than that. It really doesn't. Psalm 85 says, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. John chapter 1, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we, we pray for that one either in our midst in the building this morning, in the congregation, or that one maybe looking in on the internet, Father, and, and uh, they, don't, they don't know you. They, they can't say for certain that if they died today, they would go to heaven. They, they don't have this assurance. Uh, these words are just, just concepts to them, and they need to be saved. Father, we pray wherever they're at, they would bow their hearts, bow their heads, close their eyes, and give in to you. And say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need to be saved. I know I've sinned against you, and I need your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins, was buried and rose again from the dead, and I'm, I'm asking him to be my personal savior to be my advocate with you, Heavenly Father, that I might not spend an eternity bound by my sins and the penalty of that sin under the wrath of a thrice holy God, but that I might be freed. I might be joined to thee. I might be a son of God. I might be part of the bride of Christ. I might know him that to know a right is to have life eternal. And from this moment forward, that I might be your child and walk with you and learn your ways of sanctification through the word of God and grow and draw closer to you. Father, we pray anybody here that needs that might come forward during the invitation. Anybody online might bow their head and heart even right now and receive Christ as their Savior. Father, for your people here this morning, that we might have a greater appreciation of what you've done for us, Lord. You've done so much for us. We can't even fully fathom it or comprehend it. Lord, help us to go forth from this place telling others the good news. Lord, you said we have a ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so, Father, may we, may we spread that word. May we admonish others to be reconciled to God, to receive Christ as their Savior. Help us to give out tracts. Help us to say a word. Help us to be soul conscious. Help us to pray for others without Christ, for without him, they have no hope. And we thank you for the hope you've given us, Lord. Where would we be without the wonderful salvation that you've given us in your son, Jesus Christ? Help us to be grateful. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be filled with your praises for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 405, number 405, as we sing.
All right, praise the Lord. Brother Mike Walski, would you please come up here and close us in a word of prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us and your mercy. We thank you, Lord, for Bible words. We thank you for the truth behind the Bible words, the reality that we know Jesus Christ, that we know, Lord, that we've been sanctified and set apart from uh, hell, the penalty of our sins. Lord, we are thankful for the remission of our sins, but the clearing of our sins, the taking away of our sins. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. Lord, help us to learn more about it. Help us to embrace it. Help us to live it and love it. Help us to go out and share it with the lost world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.